Solomon Kinley in the backfield. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. And Tua throwing the other way to a wide open Durham spike for the touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show, show, show. Diagnosis. Shotgun. Murray. Prognosis. Out of the pocket. Seven seconds. Osmos. Six seconds. Murray. The doctor. Miraculous! TC Martin. It's Murray Magic! The doctor now in. Hour number two. Ah, oh, yes. We're looking forward to the Warriors and Lakers tonight. Game number one of the Western Conference semifinals. Again, hot, getting heated. The Stephen LeBron matchup continues. All right. Breaking it down for you. This hour, we will talk. The Oakland A's coming to Las Vegas. Well, I've been talking a lot about that lately, but maybe some other news that's come up now that maybe it's not a slam dunk or sure thing, or use a baseball terminology, a home run. Alan Snell will join us, LV Sports Biz. All right. He's going to break it down for us at the bottom of the hour. Talk about the stadium issues here in Vegas. Another stadium? Another professional sports team? Why not? Let's go. But, uh, yeah, interesting take on the cost of that. Where's that money coming from? We'll talk about that with Alan Snell. All right. Uh, this hour also, NFL Draft. We put a nice little bow and a little wrap on that from last weekend. The Raiders, as we know, had nine picks. We will go over those picks. We'll talk about winners, losers of the draft with our good friend, the one and only... Trevor Maddich. And like I said, nobody, and I mean nobody, breaks it down like Trevor Maddich. He's followed these guys. He knows them inside and out. No better draft analyzer than Trevor Maddich, ESPN. I, I Forget ESPN. I got to say, the T.C. Marcho's very own Trevor Maddich. How's that, my man? There you go. I like that, T.C. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Uh, I am good. I'm good. How about you? Good, good. Did you, did you recover? I know it was a busy weekend for you. Yeah, no, it's really busy. There's, there's still got a lot of information bouncing around in my head. I, I just have two brain cells. Every once in a while, they, they collide and make a spark. That's good. But now there's other stuff going in there, and so I'm working on uh, collating it all, basically. So, do you like, like wake up in the middle of the night, or will you just be like in the middle of the day, you know, going down the grocery store aisle, you know, going down uh, aisle number seven, looking for your favorite cereal or whatever, and then you'll say, "Wait, oh, that's too deep coverage. Oh no, that's that. Oh yeah, wait a minute, I, for, I, for, I forgot about that guy. You know, is, is that what happens? Yeah, no, no. I look at some shoppers box out. Yeah. You know, there's only one purse left, or you know, one uh, one you know really prime avocado, and somebody yeah. will box out and go get it, man. There's there's all kinds of skills that are being used uh, outside the football field that uh, that work really well on the football field. I, you know, as a former center, I'd love to see you snap an avocado to somebody you're in the grocery store. I mean, that'd probably go viral, Trevor. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, but a lot of things go viral that you don't really want to go viral. People <laughs> think that the uh, that any publicity is good publicity. I disagree with that. Yes. Any publicity that that uh, advances your brand is good publicity. Uh, I don't know if I have a brand, but I know what I don't want my brand to be, and that's to be that that idiot that's throwing vegetables around <laughs> in the grocery store just for clicks. So you know, I uh, I know what I don't want. <laughs> uh, but you do want an avocado, though. Oh, listen, avocado is high on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like table-side guacamole made right there. Ooh, there he goes. That's Trevor Matt talking a little food there. We always bring it back to food as we should. All right, I want to talk with you about the Raiders' selections. Okay, we know the Raiders had 12 uh, picks to start with, and then they, they traded uh, a few off. So they ended up with nine. It started with the number seven pick, and maybe a little semi-controversial. This isn't a, Cle- a Cleveland Farrell type of controversy like we've had in years past or Damon Arnett and, and stuff like that. But, you know, when you're picking seven, Trevor, as you well know, and we talked about this leading up to it, you got to score and, and you got to hit. All right. They go Tyree Wilson, the linebacker out of Texas Tech. And I'm curious what your take is on Tyree Wilson as the Raiders selection at seven. Well, a lot of, a lot of scouts had Tyree Wilson as the fifth overall prospect at any position. 
So at sixth, according to those, those scouts, he certainly was worthy of that particular pick. Now, I don't think the Raiders needed a guy at that position, edge rusher. You know, they, they could have taken Jalen Carter. They could have taken other people, a corner, um, that would have given them, I think, more of a combination of high grade and position of need. But in taking Wilson, I don't mind it if he was definitely the highest graded guy because you can't have too many pass rushers. I mean, take a look at how the New York Giants beat Tom Brady and the Patriots a few years ago. Um, you know, they, the offense, they had some miracles, the Giants did. But on defense, they ran four defensive ends. And they told them to go get the passer every play. Play the run on the way to the passer if you feel you must, and let the linebackers clean anything up behind them. And they did. They got after Brady, and that's that's how they won. And in a league that is a quarterback, uh, a quarterback-centric league, more and more and more, being able to disrupt the other guy's quarterback is critical. And it never bothers me to get a potential elite pass rusher. Now, there, there's issues that that he has that concern me a little bit. That he'll need to. Um, he'll need to handle in the NFL and get better. I mean, in college, he got by a lot on his physical gifts. In other words, he was really tall. And college tackles didn't really have a, much ability to, to do anything about that. In the NFL, he's going to have tackles uh, right in front of him. And even with shorter arms, he's going to have to do more than just have long arms. Because he didn't show enough, in my opinion, uh, in college of a, of a quick burst off the line. And then when you hit the corner, you got to be able to dip low. If you don't dip low, a tackle will, will just push you on by the quarterback. You got to dip under that block. He didn't show a lot of dip and probably because he didn't have to, you know, he just beat guys with his long arms and all that, you know, and you know, his hands in terms of technique and hand fighting on a pass rush, take one move with his hands. And then if that's beaten, go to a counter move. If that's beaten, go to a third move, all in the same pass rush. He didn't show a lot of that in college because he didn't have to. So I'm not saying he can't do these things. I'm just saying in college he didn't show them. And in order for him to get the most out of his physique, he's going to have to to really improve his technique and become a a fanatic Hmm. at first move, second move, third move uh, on the fly. If he does those things, then he'll be a phenomenal disruptor for the Raiders. You know, I hate to even say this or project this. And I know I've heard a couple other people say it too, that, you know, he kind of has the makings of being a first round bust when you select someone that high. And if he doesn't, you know, perform lights out and doesn't put up a lot of big numbers and, you know, isn't getting sacks or you know, a whole bunch of tackles, then he could get labeled with that. And I think where some of this comes from, Trevor, is there has been some question marks regarding his motor. And, you know, you talk a lot about that. No, you look at that. You don't like guys that are taking off plays or whatever. Did you notice any of that from him when you're going back and, and watching, you know, the film, the tape or whatever at his time at Texas Tech? Uh, he, I don't want to rain on the guy. I think he's a really good player with a lot of great potential. And and people that, you know, are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to scout him, uh, many of them have said the same thing. But I wouldn't say that motor worries me as much as anger. Okay. You know, I'd like to see him take on the block with, with a little more anger. Like, how dare you come here to block me, right? And, and show the, the violence in attacking and shedding the block. You know, he tends to catch blocks a little bit more. And so, you know, in the NFL, you, you can't be that way. You you have to play. I, you know, I was, my style of play uh, in the league was, and college too, was more technically excellent than it was vicious warthog, right? right. But when the opposing team came out for pregame warm-up, I was livid. I mean, I was furious that they would even show up. Now, I know that they had to show up because they had a game to play just like I did. But, you know, there was this, this anger at them. And then before every play, even when I'm thinking about, okay, what's the, you know, I played in different, different positions. So I had to, you know, I'm in a right guard for part of the game and then the left tackle gets hurt and I got to go over there and, you know, all this stuff. So I'm watching coverage shells and I know what our offensive personnel group and, um, uh, formation is. I know what their tendencies are. I take a look at what the lineup is and the defender in front of me, and I kind of narrow down 
what he might be able to do or be coached to do in that situation. Then on the first step, then I'll know what he's doing, and I won't have to, like, be ready for every single possible thing, right? Well, in thinking all that way, when the ball snapped, if I'm sitting there in a cerebral mode, I could be doing the right things. I'll get hit in the mouth and knocked flat on my back. Mm-hmm. So while I'm doing that, even if I'm not mad because I'm thinking too much, I get myself mad because mm-hmm. you have to play football mad. And that was a balance for me that, that seemed to work. Um, the reason I say that is that, you know, that if you, you know, if he doesn't show that kind of anger in taking on blocks and shedding blocks, then guys in training camp right off the bat are going to end up just tossing him around like a rag doll. Right. And so he'll learn pretty quickly to be, to be really, 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 really hostile. Because if he isn't, then he's in trouble. We know he started his college career at A&M, and then he transferred to Texas Tech. Do we know the reason for that? I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know what happened and why that happened. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's uh, Tyree Wilson. Uh, there's Raiders select him at, at number seven. Great analogy there by by Trevor Maddich. Uh, Michael Mayer, the tight end uh, from Notre Dame. Uh, good route runner, good hands. I mean, that's what I see. Uh, what do you think with Michael Mayer? And I know that now that Darren Waller is gone, there is a, a void at tight end. Uh, should have the Raiders, you know, picked him at this uh, this uh, this spot in the draft early on? Yeah, I, I think he'll be a, a solid player for them. He, you know, you start with his hand in the dirt. He's a willing blocker. You know, he'll stick his face in there and, and be tenacious as a blocker. And so that that's important because, I mean, the Raiders, you know, led the league, at least their running back did, in uh, in rushing last year. And, and, you know, the offensive line's on the way up. You know, it's interesting they didn't draft an offensive lineman until, what, the fifth round or something. But, you know, they, 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 they want to continue to improve in that. And Mayer will help them there. But they didn't draft him to be a, a tackle playing tight end. That's a compliment to his game. He, as a, as a pass catcher, is phenomenal when it's a fight for the ball. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he um, the contested catch is what he specializes in. He's not particularly fast. I mean, he's 6'4", about 250. He only ran a 4'7". But for that size, that's that's okay. He's not going to burn anybody deep. And he's not going to really separate a lot mm-hmm. in terms of superior route running, separating from a, a good cover guy. But when the ball's coming in, he's just going to beast the ball away from people. It always bothers me when pass catchers wait for the ball to arrive. You know, and hey, and if the defender gets it, oh, well, I'm sorry. You know, hey, the defender got it. No, no. It's got to be proprietary. That is my ball. You will not touch that ball. And they will fight for it like they're two junkyard dogs fighting over the last bone in the junkyard. And that's how Michael Mayer plays. So he's not particularly fast. He's not particularly athletic. But he is quite predictably effective. And you can plan around a guy like that. That's an angry uh, Trevor Madge again. See how he he just got angry right there? Uh, That's good. Uh, Good analogy. I like that. Byron Young, the defensive in Alabama. All right? So I want to know what you think of him. And, again, anytime you draft someone from Alabama, you're thinking, okay, hey, uh, we're we're getting some good pedigree here. All right? And, you know, drafting someone from Georgia and Alabama. But when you look at Byron Young, I noticed, you know, he only had four sacks. And I, I, you know, Will Anderson got a lot of the love and we, everyone loves Will Anderson. I get that. But, uh, what are your thoughts about Byron Young? You know, Byron Young is the kind of guy you want on your team. You know, he, he, everywhere he's been, he has gotten effusive praise from his coaches and his teammates for leadership. You know, I mean, just leading by example, leading vocally. He makes your locker room better. And because of that, he has a reputation also of working like crazy to develop the craft of playing defensive line. And so you see that show up on film. You see his hands be close together when he punches an offensive lineman. That gives him more power, and it takes away the offensive lineman's power because now the offensive lineman's hands are around the outside, right, a lot of the time. And so that gives him advantages, and that's coaching, and that's work to make it happen. He, he is outstanding at reading the play and getting near the play. 
anticipating what's happening, reading that first step, all those different things he excels at. That's part of his leadership and doing the small things, the grinding things that make you good at your craft. Now, he's not particularly sudden off the ball. He's not particularly quick. His his footwork is not particularly agile. Uh, and, you know, these are things that limit him athletically. Um, and so he's a rotational guy that playing at full out 100%, like a guy rotating in for hockey, and then and then stepping out, combined with his technique and combined with, you know, the work that he puts in will make him an effective rotational guy. And I don't expect him to be threatening for the Pro Bowl, but I expect him to make the Raiders better as a team overall. All right, he is Trevor Manich, ESPN, and talking about uh, the Raiders draft here. So of the other picks, you know, Trevor, you had Trey Tucker, wide receiver from Cincinnati, uh, Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback from Purdue, Jacorian Bennett, the cornerback uh, from Maryland, uh, Christopher Smith, the safety from Georgia, uh, Amari Bernie, the linebacker from Florida. We look at those guys. Uh, any one of those guys stand out to, for you? Did you, did you do much work on, on any of those guys? And what can you tell, uh, us about any of those? Yeah. The, now we're starting to get to the place where any draftee, this is just not a Raiders thing. Right. They're going to have strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so the idea then is to take a guy that you can maximize his strengths in your game plan. And you can try to coach the weaknesses into becoming at least neutral, if not strengths, right? And so, so you look at him that way. I mean, Trey Tucker, wide receiver out of Cincinnati, really productive. I mean, he's 5'9", 182. So he's kind of thick, but he doesn't play strong. He's got good explosiveness and he's fast. I mean, he ran a 4'4 at the combine, you know, but he's, he's, he's easily disrupted off of his line. Let's put it that way. A physical corner will cause him problems, but he's incredibly quick on short routes. He's incredibly shifty on screens and jet sweeps and things like that. He's got the speed to go deep, but he's got a short catch radius and he's not particularly uh, effective at winning the 50-50 ball. So he'll send him deep once in a while, I'm sure, depending on who who's covering him. But He's the kind of a guy that can really help you with the short catch, run after the catch. And so I, I you know, he, he's got some things that he can do for you. Jacorian Bennett's just, it's kind of strange to me. He's a corner out of Maryland. He's got good height, good length, but he's really fast. I mean, he ran four three at the combine, this guy. Um, but when you look at how he bursts on receivers, he doesn't burst like a guy that's a four three. He doesn't show as much recognition yet. As I think he should in order to be able to use that speed. And so a lot of times fast guys will, they're really fast and they use all that speed to run out of position faster. Right. <laughs> right. And so, I mean, he's a guy that's got the tools. If he can just latch onto the team somehow or even the practice squad, he's got the physical tools to eventually be quite effective. But for now, you know, he's got stuff to worry about. Aiden O'Connell, uh, <laughs> Aiden O'Connell, I don't think, is the, the quarterback of the future for any team. I mean, he was very productive at Purdue, but he's kind of plotting with his footwork. He locks on to receivers. You know, there, there, there's a lot of things about him that would require a tremendous amount of improvement to think that he's going to be your starting quarterback, right? So, so he's a backup, right? Well, if he's a backup, you know, and, and you're going to take him in the fourth round, well, okay, so you take a backup quarterback in the fourth round. Is, is that what you want to do? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I just don't see his ceiling as being high enough to be more than that. Now, keep in mind, I like him. And he was very productive. But there are things about his game that are just too slow uh, at the NFL level. Also, you know, throwing the ball deep, um, he loses trajectory. He loses touch. A really good short and medium. But in college, that works. In the NFL, it doesn't. Chris Smith. Uh, out of Georgia, safety. Love this guy in general. He's limited athletically, but he knows what's happening. He made massive plays for Georgia, not because he's particularly big, fast, um, or explosive, but because he recognized what was happening immediately and he got the first step and ended up in front of the receiver, intercepting the ball and taking it for six. 
that kind of a thing. So, you know, he's, he's, he's not going to win with athleticism, but again, he'll make your team better from a character standpoint, special teams and a, and a good rotational guy. You know, Bernie's going to be a really good, um, um, special teams linebacker. He, um, plays really aggressively, really aggressively. He's only got one full year as a starter though. So his instincts as a linebacker are not, uh, where they need to be. He'll need time, but he's the kind of guy that'll be on your team for a while as a core special teams guy and having a chance to get better. Mm-hmm. You know, going back uh, to O'Connell, I, I, first of all, you're, you're spot on, I think, with, with everything. And I, again, the way you dive into this, I mean, you know it better than anybody, but just, you know, the little bit that I've watched of, of these p- specific players, I'm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Aiden O'Connell, I got a chance to watch him. I don't want to say a, a lot, but, I just was not impressed with this guy at all. And you know what my, my take from Aiden O'Connell was? The sideline, um, discipline that I guess you would call it that I would see coming from Jeff Brom on him. When he would come out of a game, I would just see Brom just light this guy up like a Christmas tree. Like, how did you miss that guy? You've got to move your feet better. You got to get out of the pocket, you know? And I just, I call, Aiden O'Connell, shaky at best. And I know what you're saying, you know, his final year at Purdue, yet he, he was somewhat productive. He was, but I mean, earlier on, I didn't say this guy was a, it was ninth on the depth chart, you know, when he first got to Purdue, which maybe is not too uncommon, I guess. I didn't know the depth chart went nine deep uh, for quarterback. So, but yeah, I, I thought that was a very curious pick, uh, pick by the Raiders. I, I, I really did. Yeah, again, it's just because of the upside, the upside potential. I'll tell you why, you know, Brom was probably yelling at him a lot of the time. It's because he didn't see that guy because he never looked there. Right. You know, the defensive book on O'Connell in college was he's going to lock on his primary receiver. And if you're in the underneath zone, you can go ahead and head over there right now. Mm-hmm. And so he'll need to get that fixed in a hurry in the NFL. Right. And the only other guy that we uh, didn't talk about was uh, Nesta Jade uh, Silvera, I guess the defensive tackle out of Arizona. Uh, any thoughts on him? Yeah, Arizona State. He's, you know, he's a plugger. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's not a guy that's going to have a whole lot of, um, you know, upfield disruptive ability, but he's pretty good in a short area. He can kind of not dominate, but he can be very effective in the, in the short area, especially when you see a guard firing off on him. He often will beat that guard to the punch. In other words, the guard's going to step off and fire to that guy and hit him. And, and he's the kind of a guy that'll hit the guard first. And that's good. Just, just from there having to go laterally to, to chase plays and stay in his gap and things like that. Um, you know, he's not elite at that, you know, and he tends to stick on blocks and stuff like that. So, so we'll see, we'll see how he's able to, to stick on the team. Um, because I, you know, he is limited in anything outside of that short area. So Trevor, I, I've never been one to, to grade drafts. I don't believe in them because I think you need three years to grade a draft to see what, what happens. But everybody wants to jump out and, and say, okay, after the draft is over, and even though these guys haven't even got on, on a field with their new team yet, but you know, knowing that, you know, we can't properly grade a draft, just, uh, what you saw with these picks with the Raiders, how do you think they did? You know, I think overall, I think the Raiders, um, they got guys that have a chance to either help them or even be stars, but they've really got to step up. Tyree Wilson will define this draft. Their first round draft choice, edge rusher out of Texas Tech, pick number seven. If he is not a guy that can step out on day one, at least in pass rushing situations and be a force, then this draft will have a real anchor around it because I don't see anybody else in this draft that has the ability to really, you know, be a star, to be, to be a force. Michael Mayer, I think will be steady. He's a good pick in number two. Everybody else, you know, is, you know, are guys that can, that have a chance to play well, but I don't see that superstar, that, that crazy, that crazy guy that, you know, makes things happen in ways that, uh, are not coached, but just because they're that amazing of an athlete. That guy is Tyree Wilson. Mm. And so this draft needs to have him become a star, needs to have Mayer live up to that level of highly productive, and then several of the other guys step in to be, at the beginning, very good rotational players, um, or this draft might be seen as a bit of a dud. Right. 
Right. All right. Uh, wrapping things up here, the Houston Texans, they get CJ Stroud and then they trade up and they get Will Anderson. Uh, some nice moves here, uh, by the Texans. It looks like here, D'Amico Ryans, uh, may bring a, a different attitude, uh, a fiery attitude, maybe an angry attitude to this team. Uh, quick thoughts about the Texans and, and the Stroud pick and the Anderson pick and what else they're doing there. Yeah. You know, I think this is one of the better drafts. Um, you know, the Eagles, and the Texans are two of the ones I like the most. Yep. And the reason really is at the top of the Texans draft. They, for years, have had the short end of the quarterback stick against any individual opponent on any given Sunday. In other words, the other side is going to have a better quarterback than Houston did. And the other side is probably going to have a better pass rush to disrupt the other quarter, the Houston's quarterback than Houston would have, right? Most of the time. So by taking CJ Stroud with the second pick of the draft, uh, he's, he is a guy that's worthy of that risk. I'm not crazy about taking quarterbacks that high. I would rather get them in different ways. But Stroud, I think, is a guy that could do a lot of things and has the potential to to elevate them to where their quarterback can compete at a level of most other quarterbacks that they would face. And then with the next pick, number three, they take renowned quarterback wrecker Will Anderson. So on the one hand, they upgrade their own quarterback position, and then with the next pick, they degrade the opponent's quarterback <laughs> right. with Will Anderson out there. And so I think, you know, when those two guys get up to speed, I think it's going to be a massive improvement in the way the Texans play. And they need that. When you look at the rest of the division, you know, the, the Titans took Will Levis in the second round. They traded up to get him. And, you know, a lot of people think he can develop into a very good quarterback. Anthony Richardson went at number four to the Colts, right? And then you've got Jacksonville, and they've already got Trevor Lawrence, who's got a few years under his belt. I mean, the, the Texans needed to upgrade their quarterback and upgrade their ability to degrade the opponent's quarterback, or they'll never make it out of their division. And I think they've got a good chance of making that happen with these two picks. How do you feel about, you mentioned the Eagles, a team that goes heavily uh, from players from one school? I mean, they had a couple Georgia players already from last year's draft, and then you nab another three or four from this one. I know they're joking and saying, "Hey, you know, we, uh, you know, we're, we're basically, uh, you know, uh, playing the SEC here." What's going on? What do, you, what do you think about the Eagles? And why not? I mean, they yeah. draft guys off of last year's national championship team, Georgia. Yeah. Now they draft other guys off of this year's national championship team, Georgia. I mean, they know they know how to win. They know how to prepare to win. A lot of that has to do with with the culture at Georgia. And so they've got Jalen Carter at number nine. A lot of people think that Carter, uh, defensive tackle out of Georgia, was the most talented individual player in the draft, but he had some, some off the field issues that, that, uh, made some teams shy away. So they picked him up. Nolan Smith, a lot of people have as a top 15 pick. He's a linebacker out of Georgia, edge rusher, really fast, just amazing play. They got him at number 30. Right? That's, that's just amazing. The other Georgia guy of note is in round four. Uh, they got Keely Ringo, corner. Now, Keely Ringo is, a, is a just absolutely, um, physically on paper, he checks every box in terms of his, his high. I mean, the guy's 6'2", 207 is a corner. And in the combine, he ran 4.36. Now, in college, the reason he dropped so much is that in college, he tended to disappear. And this is where he needs to live up to that Georgia culture. Because there were plenty of times in college when he busted coverages, when, you know, his eyes weren't disciplined and guys ran past him, you know, but he's got the physical ability to be a, a, a high first round corner. So we'll see if they can coach him up and get him rolling. But I think Philly may have had the best draft of all because of those guys and others. It's amazing, right? Uh, to, to trade up and, and get picks and then, uh, you know, score with the guys that, uh, you know, from programs like the national champion Georgia Bulldogs and they're the, you know, they were just in the Super Bowl last year. I mean, it looks like Philadelphia, if they play their cards right, they could be a force to reckon with for many, many years to come. So, yeah, very impressive draft. And we really don't hear, you know, uh, teams that are uh, drafting at the bottom who were just appeared in a Super Bowl saying that, hey, you know, look what a great draft they had really building for the future. We don't hear that, and we're hearing that right now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You're right about that. And so it's pretty smart for teams that NFL teams that are already, already playing at a winning level, bringing in guys that know how to do it. Yeah. So they don't have to just teach them, you know, and that's a good thing. And that, and that doesn't mean the guys farther down the draft aren't the same kind of guy. But what you really want ideally is guys that have that kind of 
solid college football program culture who also are elite athletes. Right. And because of a trade, Philly has had the number nine pick, for goodness sake. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nolan Smith was at number 30 because that's what they were picking at number right. 30 because they were, you know, but, you know, they had number nine. And it's also because of, because of an earlier issue. So that's a good thing. All right. Trevor, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, great stuff as usual. Get yourself a little bit of rest here as, uh, you know, you enjoy the rest of the off season. Thanks, DC. We'll be watching Tyree. You He's got, big. I know. I know. We'll, we'll be talking more about him with you. We'll see how he develops in the rest of these Raider draft picks. All right, brother. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, DC. My man, Trevor Maddich from ESPN. No one does it better when it comes to breaking down these players. He's seen them. He's watched them through their entire career. And, uh, one of the hardest working guys, uh, you know, in this business. My man, Trevor Maddich. That's why he's won 15 Emmy awards. We come back. Alan Snell is going to join us from LV Sports Biz. We're going to talk A's. We're going to talk Raiders, Stadium, and more. Turn your head and cough. Here's the doctor, T.C. Martin. So wide you can't get around it. So low you can't get under it. So high you can't get over it. So the meat hook is in the house. That's right, baby. Get ready for the meat hook. Hey, come on down. See the show live on Friday afternoons from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Westgate Las Vegas. Of course, we are there inside the world-famous Superbook, 2 to 4 p.m. Great stuff there and great stuff here as well, too. Alan Snell joins us, LV Sports Biz. We talk a little Las Vegas business here and like to give him, I like to call him the meat hook. Not because he's hangs out in freezers. Just because he knows what the meat hook's all about. It's a great story. Great story. Love it. What's going you know, on, brother? I, I, I tell you, I was listening to uh, your previous guest, and he's so descriptive with, like, the fiscal attributes of the players. I was thinking, what if he, like, you know, reports and analyzes journalists that way, like kind of a little blubbery around the midsection, slow on the deadline time, you know? I feel sorry. I mean, the guy just like carves up those, you know, poor prospects. Yeah. Trevor's the best. He is. He's good. He's very, uh, you can tell he's, uh, puts a lot of time into oh, it. No, the best. No question. So dedicated. And, uh, we had another one of your, uh, regular guests here on the show yesterday. Jim Barnett joined us again. Oh, crazy horse. Crazy, Come on now. The crazy horse. Man of a million layups. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and again, a guy who's been doing it for 30 plus years as the Warriors TV and radio analyst. People forget he had a little stint with the New York Knicks he late did. in his career. And, and Boston Celtics. I know too much sports with. crap. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's I'll good. But <laughs> uh, yeah, Jim Barnett. Well, we'll get, uh, we'll Five Warriors team. We'll yeah. get to all the boring uh, stadium subsidy tax talk now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He is Alan Snell. He is our guy for boring stadium tax stuff. <laughs> That's it, man. Okay, so big talk, of course, the, the A's, you know, moving here. and But now it feels like, Alan, correct me if I'm wrong here, it just feels like we have a little bit more controversy. And we had talked about much this. Much more. Much yes, more. We, we've talked about the stadium issue for the last year or so, uh, you know, with all the meetings that the A's brass have had and coming here, looking at land, meeting with the, uh, the convention visitors authority and all that sort of thing. And then boom, now we get the news, you know, a couple weeks ago. Here we go. Uh, we're going to purchase the land. They found the land they want, the 49 acres over there off of uh, Tropicana and uh, off of I-15. And then now we're hearing that John Fisher, the owner of the A's, is saying like, well, uh, I need $500 million. And I think that caught some people off guard because we always knew that that was kind of a deal, deal killer with everything else we talked about going back you know, to Golden Knights and then the Raiders and everything else. And now we're hearing this for a franchise that has been rather dismal, a team that is definitely the worst team in baseball this year and last year for that matter as well, too. So we hear that Fisher wants $500 million to build this ballpark. Give us the details. Well, you know, this is kind of a, you know, this is a really different animal than what we saw with the Raiders. The Raiders was this powerful, slow, slow moving freight train that had everything in place. You had Sheldon Adelson and Brian Sandoval, the governor at the time, the conductors, and they had a big process involved. And, you know, they methodically went through the process of, you know, getting the $750 million commitment to help build the stadium. This deal is like a quickie, thank you, ma'am, kind of deal where, you know, 
I mean, obviously, there's always been talk about Las Vegas out there being used as leverage in the Oakland talks. But now, you know, they they've done something kind of a little um, a little dangerous. I mean, they have cut Oakland out. And there are no other markets, and they have no other leverage to politically negotiate, like you mentioned, this $500 million in incentives. Obviously, the big piece is the sports entertainment tax district that would uh, include the, uh, the the ballpark of 30000 to 32000 would be probably retractable uh, in style. And, you know, I've heard figures anywhere from 1 billion to 1.5 billion. I gotta tell you, usually, you know, you'd see kind of a nice rendering with like, the, with a snazzy, yeah. uh, backdrop of the strip, yeah. you know, just like the Raiders stadium had with, yeah. you know, with the strip in the background. Uh, we haven't had that. The athletics don't even have a stadium design architect on board. Yeah. Uh, they've, they have no political leverage. It's pretty much, you know, all or nothing in Carson City. Yeah. And that's what they're doing right now. They are, Talking with state legislators, uh, doing a lot of the behind the, you know, door kind of discussions with their lobbyists, um, talking to state lawmakers to see what kind of appetite there is for, like you said, up to $500 million in incentive. There would be tax credits thrown in there as well. And, you know, the one thing which is fascinating, TC, is that you know, at first blush, it, it looks like it was, this thing was kind of slapped together. Mm-hmm. But on the uh, on the other hand, you just get the sense that is this thing baked or inside wired with Joe Lombardo? Because, you know, why would the A's just like completely cut out uh, the city of Oakland? They're done. Just show up at the doorstep uh, of, you know, Clark County with your hat out with $500 million, you know, value of public money involved. If... They're not telling us something that we should know. And Joe Lombardo, um, he's the X Factor. He's the new governor. I mean, you know Mark Davis. Mm-hmm. You know how much he despised the athletics. We don't have to go into the history of the, the horrible uh, relations they had at the Coliseum. But the A's caught a big break by Sisolak getting defeated because Sisolak was a buddy of Mark Davis. Mm-hmm. Right. Joe Lombardo is a whole different animal. Joe Lombardo is kind of a blank slate, if you will. Yeah. You know, and he obviously has the door open for negotiations and discussions. But again, you have to wonder, do the A's know something that we don't? Because it looks like the whole deal was like thrown together, you know, kind of like a a bachelor's dinner on a Thursday night. And then you have, you know, um, okay, we're in Carson City. You know, again, you throw this up against what happened with the Raiders. There was a very methodical process involved. Mm-hmm. And you had major political and and people on the strip, MGM Resorts, Sheldon Adelson. They were all on board for the project. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anyone in powerful positions advocating for the Oakland Athletics baseball park deal? No, but here's the thing, though. I mean – you say it was kind of thrown together, and, and this news that we're hearing about the $500 million, that kind of hits you. But we got to remember, we've been talking about this for going on two years, that, and even longer, I've been talking about because of my Northern California ties, that this thing, you know, they were supposed to build, you know, a, a waterfront ballpark, okay? They talked about Jack London Square, they talked about the water, I mean, going... Eight, eight years or so now, eight, ten years, we've been hearing this and they, okay, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. And at the same time, you know, the Raiders situation was going on as well, too. Okay. Well, would it be a dual facility? No, not, it won't be a dual facility. So now I got to work on saving the Raiders. Now we got to work on saving the A's. So let's just, you know, put the A's on the back burner here, even though they thought the A's might be an easier deal to do because it's a lesser stadium. It's a smaller stadium and you know, okay. You know, the A's are probably never going to leave. So once the Raiders finally did leave and then they found out that the A's were just, you know, really upset about the condition of the Coliseum. And they said, okay, enough's enough. We got to start looking at uh, other places. And then when they start visiting Las Vegas, then the mayor and other people, lobbyists and everybody in Oakland were kind of, you know, bent out of shape. So, well, well is this really going to go anywhere? So they felt, okay, like you said, they're using Las Vegas as a pawn to get their stadium built. Then finally, 
the A's just said, enough. You guys haven't moved. On eight years, you have not moved on this ballpark idea that we've had here. We've had renderings. We've had all this stuff. And it's like not going anywhere. Right. So I think they said, okay, now let's really engage with Vegas. Let's get Commissioner Rob Manfred involved here as well, too. And Manfred said, you know, I think we you really got to push Vegas because we got two problems. We got Tampa Bay and we got Oakland. Neither one's probably going to work. And if we got to take her in Vegas, then go make that thing work. So then I think that's where it comes in like, okay, we want to make Vegas work. But like to your point, it's like, okay, we're all in Vegas. We've had so many discussions and so many trips with these people, but now we're getting down to the bolts, nuts and bolts of, okay, now how's it going to get financed? I think that's the, it's taking people about. Well, TC, I think you hit it on the head with the quote, let's make, let's make Las Vegas work. Hmm. The problem is that where is Las Vegas saying that? I mean, hmm. Manfred wants Las Vegas to cough up public money because in order for, for the, uh, owners to approve this deal, they're going to have to do this very quickly to um, comply with a very ambitious timetable. They want the owners to approve this in the fall, which means they need to get that application to MLB in August. They're going to have to cut this deal literally in the next four weeks. And, you know, the the one thing to consider is the casual fan, even though they, you know, kind of held their nose and probably didn't appreciate the public contributing $750 million to an, an NFL team's you know, stadium construction bill. The point is the stadium has brought the Final Four. It brings in international soccer matches. It brings in the big, you know, all the big Taylor Swift and the boy. Super Bowl. Ba- and the Super Bowl. <laughs> the boy band from Korea and yeah. this and that. So, you know, you could at least justify saying that this market needed the stadium. Mm-hmm. You just did not have the public uh kind of pull for a baseball park. Mm -hmm. And also something to keep in mind, TC, is that, you know, the magic behind the Vegas Golden Knights is the fact that this community grew up with the Golden Knights from scratch, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that had a lot to do. 100%. That had a lot to do with the emotional connection, which translates into some of the highest tickets and ticket revenue uh, in the NHL. So the uh, the Oakland uh, athletic situation... You know, it's a. I think it's a very different deal. Um, I, I got to tell you, I know you do like the betting odds and stuff. I don't do the bet, but if I had, you know, to me, it's like fifty-fifty whether this thing is, you know, going to actually happen. Right. You know, I. You know, there's a lot of missing, uh, you know, a lot of missing parts to this wheel. That, you know, that has to be filled in. And make no mistake about it. If this ballpark is here it's constructed there will be concerts there will be because now you have an outdoor venue if you choose to go outdoor or retractable roof that will hold more than t-mobile arena or any other arena so you know you can do a concert that for 25 to 30 maybe thirty-five thousand. if you have you know floor seating and that sort of thing because we're already seeing major league ballparks do this when their teams are on the road before it was taboo but we're seeing Fenway Park, Wrigley Field, we're seeing uh, San Francisco, they're all doing no, concerts, no, 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 so, no, no, so there will you, be... You can have the, ven- the baseball venue yeah. can be used for yeah. other things, but keep in mind there's a lot of competition now. We have the you know 17,500 yeah. seat yeah. sphere coming online in November yeah. with U2 and there's a lot of hype with Madison Square oh. Garden behind that. Um, you know, don't forget, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean What's interesting about the the Raiders indoor stadium is that I've talked to promoters and people who put on the events like WWE, for example. It's almost like a very big T-Mobile arena. Yes, correct. I mean, the mechanics of that building, it's so tight. It's, you know, kind of enclosed. There's a lot of competition. I'll throw this out there to you as well, TC. You have a billion-dollar paddock, you know, um, building being built for F1. Mm. Those guys are on record saying that they do plan to have events there. They're going to be having high-end, um, f- like, food and catering events, you know, big uh, conventions and what have you. There's, it's, it's very, and we're, we're in a renaissance of sports in this, in this market, but, but keep in mind, it, the competition is fierce. Mm -hmm. I think it's just going to get more fierce. Alan Snell joins us, LV Sports Biz. Go on his website. Uh, you can see um, his articles regarding this and other things uh, in Vegas from the business side of things. Um, back to the tax. So Alan, where you say an entertainment tax, I mean, again, who's, who would be paying for so this? I think the, that's what people in Las Vegas want to know. Who 
are they anticipating paying for this ballpark? So this is this is very common in a lot of markets. What will happen is that a, a, a pro team will propose a tax district to include the facility, and all the businesses within that tax district will charge a fee. You know, kind of, you know, the parallel for the Raider Stadium would be the hotel room tax. This is everything on that's purchased inside this, this obviously 49 acre area. And that, that's part, that's some of the negotiations. How big is this tax district going to be? I've already talked with economists who question whether there will be enough revenue generated right. from the purchases of items to come up with the cash to pay, pay back $500 million in bonds that, you know, they, that Clark County is being asked to float. Clark County is the fiscal agent for Raider Stadium. So you do have this Raiders, you have this Las Vegas Stadium Authority Board, but they're not floating the bonds. They, the authorized official fiscal agent, if you will, for the, for the Raiders Stadium is Clark County. Clark County, again, is, is going to come up. They have the apparatus. They have the government infrastructure in place to sell the bonds and to collect the money and what have you. And, you know, I will tell you that, you know, just based on my initial interviews, the, <laughs> the Clark County commissioners are not on board with this. I yeah. mean, you know, the, Mark, Michael Naft has already been quoted as saying that, you know, they can ask for whatever they want. It doesn't mean they'll get it. It's a lot of vibrators, I think, that you have to sell. You know, a lot of sex toys in that area. You know? Yeah, that was kind of an interesting, like, little take. You probably saw the the TV news about how the, you know, a lot of the. That's kind of a tough little part of the, uh, the area. Neighborhood, yeah, right? And you have a lot of street walkers there. And you know, one of the initial TV stories had to do with the fact that you know the prostitutes, you know, walking the streets there are going to be like pushed out, and what's going to yeah. happen to the sex workers and. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, we'll probably I see. I need you to go undercover for that, okay? <laughs> I mean, you're LV Sports Biz. That is biz, right? <laughs> we'll probably see more, like, you Buffalo. You know, Nunchuck's looking, filling out an application <laughs> for you right now. We'll <laughs> probably see more uh, Buffalo Wild Wings restaurants than, like, you yeah. know, uh, than, than, uh, than sex toy uh, businesses in there. You mentioned Mark Davis not being happy ab- about this news. Yeah, I, got, I mean, you know the guy. Mm. I mean, this guy must be absolutely haunted. And he, by the and he has he, been on record of saying that he's not happy about this. Not this at deal. all. I mean, no. uh, on both sides. I mean, the Oakland Athletics didn't like the, uh, I guess they called it the Mount Davis, uh, you know, um, the uh, bleachers and, and all the seating section. Mm. And Mark Davis didn't like the whole um, uh, the lease agreement there and, and fighting with the A's about that. So, you know, again, that was uh, that's part of the kind of a subplot right. to the whole soap opera of this. I mean, uh, you know, Mark Davis, it, Mark Davis must be thinking, what the hell do I have to do to get rid of the Oakland Athletics? <laughs> <laughs> the speaking of the Raiders, um, Raiders value. Uh, I know Forbes, uh, you know, released this a, a while back. Uh, 2019, the last year they were in Oakland, they were valued at 1.2 billion dollars, which was 29th in the National Football League. Last year, $3.1 billion is what the Raiders are worth now, which is 17th. Well, I think maybe even more now, right? I thought they went up to five point. I thought they went up to $5.1 billion. I was was going back, yeah, just to last year. I remember that. And I'm sure, like I said, right. And that is because the obviously the opening of the stadium, but also the opening of the stadium meant that they zoomed from literally. Last in corporate partnership revenues to yeah. the top, like literally the top, uh, definitely the top eight, if yeah. not the top five, uh, because they had all the, um, they had all their partnerships that were part of the uh, founding mm-hmm. deals to the stadium. Everyone's talking about F1. What are your thoughts uh, uh, about this? And I know that, you know, we got construction going on around the city is driving everybody nuts. Uh, That's the funny thing, TC, is that all this Oakland Athletics ballpark stuff has actually, like, given a break to the F1 people who are, like like you mentioned, um, F1's contractor, Las Vegas Paving, which apparently paves every road in this market. You see Las Vegas paving trucks everywhere. They are, you know, as we talk, they're working on Las Vegas Boulevard and the Strip, and... um, have you invi- have you seen the renditions of what this is going to look like for race day or race days? No, it's I mean it's going to be it's going to be pretty dazzling. In fact, yeah. I think we're going through this with with Miami. It's right? hard to it's hard for me to envision driving around the area right now just to see. Okay, how is this going to be? 
you know, in five months? It's um, it's going to be a mess. I mean, I, 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 I mean, <laughs> and what happens afterwards? Well, we we got a little piece of this just last week. Remember for the um first for the playoff game for the um Vegas Golden Knights. Yes, they. That was the day they decide to close two lanes behind the arena. Um, what is uh, that? D. Martin Road or yes, whatever. That, yes. I mean, yeah. um, they, they just, you have yeah. you have single lane traffic going in both directions yeah. with with construction going on the strip, and you know that everyone's going to have to figure out like their own transportation hacks in terms of getting around. As you know, TC. It's it's a non-issue for me because I just can bike somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of yeah. pull up. Love the bike racks at uh, T-Mobile yeah. Arena, and I I interviewed Dave Cavill on the day that he uh, had the big announcement. Mm-hmm. We bought forty nine acres. We're coming to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. That happened to be the same day that Allegiant Stadium's unveiling these beautiful new bike racks. Yes, <laughs> and I told Dave, Dave, how can you kill me, man? I finally get one day in the in the sun here, and and you come up with this uh, Oakland A's to Las Vegas stuff. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Alan Snell, go read his stuff. He's everywhere here in Las Vegas, covering all the teams and giving us the the behind the scenes uh, business stuff as well. To lvsportsbiz.com, go read his stuff regarding the uh, proposed A Stadium. It is fantastic, my friend. Appreciate you. We'll let you get back on that bike and uh, <laughs> probably see you tomorrow night, right? Wednesday night, yeah. game one. As a, you know, I, I am guessing TV pulled a fast one and moved the uh, Friday night game to Saturday. I see that. So that's, that's good. That's a four o'clock Saturday afternoon start. Right, here. right. I like that. I like that. And it gives me a chance to go see Cool in the Gang Friday night at the Westgate. <laughs> now there you go. And uh, six thirty tomorrow night, which you know, uh, hey, earlier start the better. I, I like I that. Think, you know, that saves a half hour or an hour on the other end. It does. Think, it gives so. me a chance to you know get in one of my uh, quality uh, restaurants. Uh, you know, maybe after the game before they close. I mean, that's. Um, there's two things I look forward to. I um, this guy who like carves up the uh, the uh, the draft players yeah. and, and your food reviews. There you go, <laughs> my man, Alan Snell. We appreciate you being here, my friend. It's always great to be here, and also I look forward to hearing you uh, aces basketball around the corner. Around Come the on. corner, training camp right now, baby. There Can you hardly go. wait. Want to thank Alan for being here, Trevor Maddich as well, and Chuck Esposito. If you miss any part of the show, you know where to go. The website is tcmartinshow.com. Our interview with Asia Wilson's up there from Friday. Go check that out. Hear from Jim Barnett. Hear from everybody else. And uh, don't forget, tonight, Warriors and Lakers, Game 1. And Golden Knights, we'll talk more about that. Game 1 against Edmonton tomorrow at T-Mobile Arena. Have yourself a good one. Enjoy. We're back at it tomorrow at 2.